It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live on this Tuesday on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. John Schmelk, Lance Meadow with you. The phone number is 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants chat on Twitter. If you want to get in touch with us that way, you certainly can. Lance Meadow, how you doing this morning, sir, or afternoon, whatever the heck we're in? <laughs> I'm doing very well. How about yourself? We are doing well. The Giants, of course, coming off their big overtime win against the Saints. Well, I want to touch on that game a little bit. You, Lance, uh, Lance, you rather. Paul and Jeff had a chance to talk about that game yesterday. I got a couple things I want to bring up. And, of course, we also had some media go on yesterday with the head coach of the Giants, Joe Judge, and some players. So why don't we start there, Lance? Uh, we were shooting the Joe Judge report, so I didn't have a chance to listen to those media availabilities, and I was watching back more of the game this morning on tape, and I kind of got to the Cowboys a little bit too. So I did not have a chance to listen to those media availabilities. Anything jump out to you from Joe Judge, John Ross, and I think one or two other guys? Yeah, James Bradbury also spoke to the media. As far as John Ross is concerned, clearly he's happy to be back on the field after dealing with some injuries. I think the biggest takeaway from what he told the media was the fact that he doesn't look at himself as just a vertical threat because he did make a few other catches in addition to that 52-yard touchdown grab. And I think his phrase was that, you know, he's not a one-trick pony, and he wants to make that very clear, and he's hoping that the Giants utilize him in a variety of different ways in terms of the routes that they're asking him to run. So I thought that was probably the most interesting takeaway from what John Ross had to say. As far as what Joe Judge said, he said there's no update at this point on Sterling Shepard or Darius Slade, and they're going to see how the next few days go before they can tell whether or not any of them are in the doorway to at least perhaps inching closer to playing against the Dallas Cowboys. And I think he commended the offensive line overall. I mean, that to me was my biggest takeaway from what Joe Judge had to say. The fact that, you know, Matt Skura came in, has not been with the team very long, but held up very nicely. And Andrew Thomas has now played next to multiple left guards. So they're at least happy with the progress of the offensive line. And it's a matter of not just showing flashes. It's a matter of that group showing a little bit more consistency here moving forward. Yeah, and I thought they played well. Andrew Thomas continues to play well. I thought the score was was pretty good. Um, Solder got some help over there with with Cameron Jordan, but I thought overall the offensive line did a nice job. A couple of things from the game, Lance. And by the way, just for the record, when I watched Ross before the Giants signed him, I thought he was a pretty good route runner, to be honest with you. Not just deep balls. I thought he could run you know, the comebacks, the digs, things like that that can play off his speed. He was just never healthy enough to do it. Yeah. And be on the field. So if he stays healthy, I think he can certainly be a weapon. And then if Slayton and Shepard get back, good luck trying to find a role for five different wide receivers. I don't envy Jason Garrett because, you know, that's what all anybody's going to complain about. Why didn't he play more snaps? Why didn't he play more snaps? And that's it's going to be a thing every single week. So, um, but bottom line, uh, that's a good problem to have if you can get all these guys back and healthy. You know, for Lance in this game, and this is something that I've, I mean, geez, you could tell me, I've been probably annoying you guys with this since the beginning of last year, maybe even going back to when Pat Shermer was here. The Giants just never have gotten in recent history enough big plays, not enough chunk plays down the field. And if you, for me, if you want to pick one thing and the reason why the Giants beat the Saints, they managed to get explosive plays in this game. They had 12 plays of 15 or more yards, led the league, two more than every other NFL team this week, 20-plus uh, 20, um, 20 yard plays. Uh, they, they had, had eight seven. Of them. They had eight, 
Eight, seven passes, yeah. eight runs. Eight with the run by Daniel Jones, I believe. He had a 20-yard run. So seven, seven passes, eight, one run. And then two of the passes went for 50 yards and went for touchdowns. And when you break it down even further, Lance, you want to know how you score points? You score, you score points with explosive plays. And here's what I looked at. The two plays that went for 50-plus yards, those are touchdowns right there. So those are, those are half your points on two plays, two big plays. If you go back to some of the other stuff, the Giants had two explosive pass plays, a 19-yard and a 17-yard, to set up their first field goal. Gallaudet had a 28-yard catch to set up the game-tying field goal. Then in the overtime drive, they had a 17-yard catch, an 18-yard screen, and a 23-yard deep out to Kenny Gallaudet. And then, by the way, on the drive that they missed their field goal on, they had an explosive play on that drive, too. So... You need to get these explosive plays if you want to consistently score points. In the league now, it's too hard to just methodically work your way up and down the field. You have to get these explosive plays. And I broke it out even further, Lance. Of those explosive pass plays, and again, there were 12 of them, seven of those plays came on first downs. One of their two explosive run plays came on first down. Three of the explosives came, explosive plays came on second down, and three came on third down. Four of those on first down came off of play action. So you got to attack down the field on these early downs when teams are in their more basic coverages or not sending as many blitzes at you. And I think that's what the Giants need to continue to do. And I just hope they don't take this as being, you know, a product of being down in the second half in this game, two scores in the fourth quarter when they really start to open things up. I would like to see more of this as we move forward here, especially using play action. You know, we talk about you open up the offense too much, too many passes. Well, you expose your quarterback. Well, the offensive line is playing better for one. And number two, if you use play action effectively, that also protects you against a more savage pass rush. It gives your quarterback a little bit more time by the nature of the play. So this is an approach I would like to see continue. We've talked about it before. I think we need to see more of it moving forward if the Giants can continue to, to get, you know, close to 30 points here in some of these games. Yeah, I think the only thing that I'll add is when they do get some of these explosive plays, they still had three red zone opportunities. They only scored one touchdown out of those three red zone opportunities. So it's still a matter of capitalizing with touchdowns off of some of those earlier explosive plays. They're getting in scoring range, but they're still not finishing in the red zone. Yeah, but see how you can overcome the red zone, though, if you have the explosive plays. That's my point, right? Well, there's no doubt about it, but I guess what I'm saying is is that if you look at the teams that are great in red zone efficiency this season and even in previous seasons, those still are the teams that separate themselves from the rest of the pack because they're able to score in a variety of ways. No, I agree. You can't go into a game banking that you're always going to get a 50-yard touchdown. It's just not going to happen. There's going to be some defenses that are very effective in taking that away from you. That's not to say that you can't get five or six explosive plays a game, but I think the Giants' problem is when they don't finish – on the 50-yard touchdown, they get down inside the 20-yard line, and they have tighter space, and they're bottled up. They're just not very effective right now running the football in that area, and that, to me, is still something that needs to be cleaned up because you want to go into games thinking, hey, we could score from 40 yards out, but we could also score from five yards out. Those, to me, are the most versatile and dangerous offenses, the ones that believe that they can go for the home run, but to use a baseball analogy, they can also score runs with singles and doubles. And right now, I think the Giants have shown they can hit the home run, but they can't necessarily bring the runner around when it comes to singles and doubles. Yeah. Can you get the guy home from third with less than two outs, right? I mean, yeah, exactly. if you want to use that baseball analogy, I agree. And just be, look, 
you're right. That's still a problem that has to get solved. It doesn't erase that problem. You still have to get better there because you're right. You can't rely on those types of plays every game. But if you get more of them, it, it, it mitigates the issues that can cause you. And by the way, this was not just throwing the ball down the field. They did it more. They had five throws in this game that traveled at least 20 yards down the field, most of any other game this year. They had three or two in their other games in terms of deep shots. But their yards after the catch game, Lance, in this particular contest was a difference maker. In their first three weeks, only 33% of Daniel Jones's passing yards came on yards after the catch. Second fewest ratio, second lowest ratio, rather, of any team in the league. In week four, that number jumped all the way to 49%. And it was the sixth highest of any team in week four. So they made some short passes, but they turned into big plays. You had the 3rd and 18 conversion by Kadarius Toney. You had the screen pass by Galladay in overtime. You know, Barkley's 54-yard touchdown catch, that pass didn't travel 20 yards in the air, but it was a catch and run. Uh, a huge play on the Giants' game-tying field goal drive. Kenny Galladay catches a slant, runs through a Malcolm Jenkins tackle, gains 20 more yards, and that puts the Giants at the field goal range. So, yes, throwing it down the field's part of it, but they also set it up here where they got guys the ball in motion in space and guys made plays once they had the ball to make some more of those plays. So it was not just chucking it deep, though that did help on the Ross play for sure. It was guys making plays with the ball in their hands too, which is something we frankly did not see a whole lot of the first three weeks of the year. Well, and part of that is Tony had more touches. He had nine targets, six catches. So you got the ball in the hand of one of your electric playmakers. And Galladay is not necessarily known for that. I mean, he's known for winning the contested catches. He just made a number of big-time plays where yeah. he was the aggressor. He fought through a tackle, and he was able to move the chain. So that is extremely encouraging. And we know Saquon's capable of doing that. I think that they also gave him more opportunities out in open space compared to some of the previous games. And he was a little bit more decisive. And even Barkley after the game, we were talking about this on yesterday's show, You know, he mentioned that he took Daniel Jones to the side and said, hey, if they present this look again, I think it's something that I could get good one-on-one -on -one coverage up the left sideline, give it to me, and then I like my chances trying to beat the secondary. And it worked out to perfection. So to me, it was a matter of, it's not as if the Giants haven't had those playmakers out there. It's that they got those guys the ball and they said, hey, listen, if we get you out in open space, we have faith that you can win favorable matchups if you get matched up with a linebacker or a safety or whatever it may be, and that works. So, I mean, the goal would be is, hey, continue to find the positive matchups moving forward with the opposition, get those guys one-on-one, -on -one, and you have faith in them winning those battles. So, I mean, the talent has been here. I don't think that was the question. It wasn't a lack of talent. It was a matter of getting your playmakers the football, and then those guys also taking it to the next level in terms of executing. And for the most part, you had explosive plays because the guys executed. Ross made the catch. Tony made a number of guys miss on the third and 18. Galladay was able to break a tackle. You know, that's execution. That's not pure luck. That's guys seeing the field very well. And also, once again, if Malcolm Jenkins is not going to wrap up Kenny Galladay, then he has to make him pay for that. So I think it was a combination of a variety of factors there. Yeah, and I found the play, by the way. It was in the third quarter. It was the third play of the quarter where they hit Evan Ingram on a little quick speed out uh, coming out of the slot there with 12-14 to go. And you saw Lattimore peak. And I bet that was the play that Joe Judge talked about earlier in the game 
where they saw Latimer give a, a particular look on the identical play, which made them think Barkley could be open on that play later in the game, and that's exactly what happened. You guys talked about the offensive line. Um, they did a really nice job, so I don't think I need to, to push that even further. They only allowed pressure on 22% of Daniel Jones' dropbacks. Seventh lowest rate in the league this week. They did a good job protecting. They still had some issues with some stunts coming inside early in the game, but it got cleaned up as they went along. And then, Lance, the only thing I'll touch on uh, before we get to the calls here is the defense because I do think a lot of this stuff needs to get buttoned up. You know, one thing that we haven't seen from this defense, even this year when they've struggled, is allowing those big plays over the top. And we saw several of those in this game. You had the touchdown that did not get called back. Then you had the touchdown that got called back. Now, it would have been a sack by Leonard Williams without the hole, but the, but the secondary still got beat over the top and got creased with the post route. And, quite frankly, if Taysom Hill throws a better throw on the interception that he threw that Bradbury grabbed, that could have been a touchdown too. So I think that needs to get cleaned up a little bit. You need to look at that. You need to do a better job tackling at the line of scrimmage. Uh, Giants, according to PFF, where is it? Here it is. Got tracked for 15 missed tackles in the game. It was the second most in the league in week four. That needs to get cleaned up. And the Giants did not have a sack or quarterback hit in the game. Yeah. That's not great. So you got to do a better job getting after the quarterback a little bit. Now, part of that, again, was that the Saints were a very run-heavy attack. So that you know mitigates your ability to rush the passer a little bit. Nevertheless, those are the things on defense, especially coming against Dallas this week, who you could argue statistically, you look at some of the advanced numbers, might have the best offense in the league. That stuff has got to get cleaned up this week if the Giants want to be able to stay, uh, keep Dallas in this game here, who are one of the highest-scoring teams in the league. Well, and Dallas is also going to run the football like the Saints will. Yep. So that also limits your opportunities to get after the quarterback. Jameis and Taysom combined for just 26 pass attempts. So just do the math, that's 14 less than Daniel Jones had, which was 40. So, you know, like in baseball, it bats give you opportunities to get on base. Well, you need the opposing quarterback to throw the ball in order to get after the quarterback, or else you need to stay well-disciplined in terms of stopping the run. The other thing I'll add is the missed tackling needs to clean up because guys like Zeke and Tony Pollard will also make you pay if you don't bring them down initially. And I think some of that was they were so enamored in trying to strip the ball away from Taysom Hill that they just forgot about the fundamentals. So, you know, you got to worry about bringing the guy down first. Then you could worry about maybe trying to take the ball away. You brought up the Taysom Hill interception. Sean Payton actually on one of his coaches' shows, I have to go back and watch the play because I didn't notice it when I watched it back, but he said that Taysom stubbed his toe on the throw. No way. And yeah, really? and that's what contributed to it being slightly underthrown. It also didn't help, by the way, that Deontay Harris is 5'6", <laughs> and James Bradbury has, you know, a good 5'6 inches on him, too. So, I mean, if you're going to throw a jump ball up to a guy, at least make it a favorable matchup where the wide receiver can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the defensive back. I didn't like the decision. You can say all you want about, well, Jameis should be throwing that, and I agree, but I also don't love the fact that you've got a small wide receiver on a bigger secondary player, why would you put that wide receiver in that position? No disrespect to Deontay well, Harris. Well, the way he's it was a talented guy, but he's not going to win that battle. Yeah, but the way it was designed, it was not designed to be a jump ball. I mean, if, if that ball is thrown up ahead of him, he's got a good two, three yards of separation. That's never going to be a jump ball to begin with. I think it only became a jump ball because the pass was underthrown. I don't well, think that was part of the design. And if that was the case, that it was the stub toe that happened on the turf that led this. him... Under throwing it, then maybe that's some rationale behind it. But that's what Sean Payton said. Okay, I, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring up the player. I got to see if you can actually see him on the release if he like gets his toe stuck. Yeah, in the that's ground. what he had indicated. That's interesting. And I assume you guys talked a lot about Daniel Jones's great game yesterday. 
Yeah, I mean, we've certainly hit on it. I mean, there's no doubt about it. He had a career high in passing yards, and he was extremely efficient on that last drive when he went five for five. I think, you know, the numbers, you don't even need the eye test. Just look at the statistics. He was very efficient overall from that standpoint. And he got rid of the ball on time, too. One of the reasons the the Saints pass rush didn't get there, I thought he got rid of the ball. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it was a combination of the O-line, but Daniel Jones also getting rid of the football quickly. And even I listen back to the opposing players just to get their perspective. They even mentioned that the reason why they didn't feel like they had enough opportunity to get after the quarterback was he was just getting rid of the football. So when the guy gets rid of the football, you have to adjust accordingly. No question about it. All right. Let's get to the phones, 201-939-4513, 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants Chat or hashtag BBKL, we can do that too. Just a reminder that the Delta variant is spreading quickly in all areas of New York State. People who are not fully vaccinated or are at greater risk from COVID-19, protect yourself, get vaccinated. Visit ny.gov slash get vaccinated or talk to your health care provider. All right, let's go to Angelo in Dallas. He'll lead us off. He's in enemy territory this week. What's up, Ange? Uh, yes, it is enemy territory. <laughs> What's going on? Hey, um, fellas, a few points here, and I'll be fast with this. I actually saw the beat writers, saw John, I think I saw you out in New Orleans, um, uh, Papa, um, Bob Papa and Howard Cross, you know, going to a restaurant. So my question is, in a situation like that where I'm you know, spending the money going there, checking the games out, I'll be in New York possibly for the Raiders game, Miami, every year I go to a game, and I'm from Dallas. And I actually saw... Saquon Barkley and Jeff and Kenny Holiday at another establishment. Now, y'all weren't eating, they weren't eating. Is it okay? or do you, do you, How do y'all feel about, you know, hey, can I get a quick pick? You know, it takes 10 seconds. When you got a fan, he's traveling, you know, spending like at least $1,000 to come see y'all. As long as I'm not interrupting, you know, your family or a meal, or y'all sitting outside waiting in line, how does, how does it players and y'all feel about that well i mean look if you guys want to come up and say hi to us or you're a fan on the road that's cool man we don't care you know i, I i'm always frowned upon like in the middle of a meal coming over i'm not a big fan of that but if like of course if we're of hanging course. out and we're there you want to come over say hi say hi absolutely no problem okay now now and, 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 and now for the, for the yeah. players it's a guy-by-guy deal i'm not going to speak to that because I'm, I'm never one with with players even when i wasn't in the business to go up and kind of talk to these guys so i'll let you make that decision if you're just quick, want to say what's up and move on, that's great to make it a whole thing. Maybe not. But no, if you, if you see you know, me, Bob, whatever, riding around, come by, say hi. We always welcome that. No problem. Appreciate, appreciate that, fellas. Um, second thing is, it's, it's uh, last week, maybe a week before, John, you actually mentioned they were talking about DJ and how he's a good teammate whatnot, and the guys trust him. What have you seen being the inside guy in there? Because you, you kind of mentioned – DJ is a trusted quarterback, and everybody in the locker room trusts him and has faith in him. What are you seeing outside of what the what fans can see that makes you say that and kind of like leave it alone that everybody trusts this guy because your hard work he puts in? Well, I mean, I, just the way guys talk about him, you know, to be honest with you, you know, everyone just he's always here early. He's always here late. I can see that. Now, remember, we're not in the locker room anymore, so I'm not around these guys right. as much as I usually am because of COVID. So I can't, I can't give you as much as I usually give because I'm kind of stuck just listening to the press conference with everybody else. But I've never seen a rumble, a grumble, off the record, people complaining about Daniel. Just the way he plays, you know, his physical ability. He shows you that he can make all the plays. He's not afraid of contact. He acts like a football player. He doesn't act like a quarterback, if you understand where I'm going with that. So mm-hmm. he's, I think just the way he presents himself and, and just the type of guy that he is, 
there's just really not a whole lot not to like, to be quite honest with you. I mean, is it some kind of inside conversation that gives you that impression? It's not. But just seeing the way guys act around him, react to him, and, you know, the way they talk about him publicly, I think it just shows you that, you know, they like the way he is, his approaches, his personality, and the way he treats his teammates. And I'll kind of leave it at that. Awesome. No, I appreciate that. And I know there are similar, you know, always some comparisons to Eli Manning and how Eli would go into and study, go get an early study, and how just outside of the regular team meetings, Eli would actually sit with the receivers, go, hey, when I see this coverage, you know, I'm going to give you this signal. So, you know, hopefully that's what we see in their maturation, especially like that Barkley play you talked about 12 minutes in the third quarter. They had a conversation they saw, and then they did the, uh, the long pass on the sideline. So hopefully we're seeing that. And last two quick points is, you know, hopefully we can see the continuance of growth with Daniel Jones because that really gives us a lot of flexibility with the first two round draft picks next year. I believe, you know, I don't not to say that they're going to do something with him anyway before I get another quarterback, but I think it will hopefully help build the line, the defensive line, et cetera, with the two draft picks. And lastly, one that the first and I was at the game, obviously, one thing that did frustrate me was that I was sitting there, sitting there watching Taysom Hill do the same play like at least six or seven times. They stopped him at the most important time, but it was very frustrating to see that same play by Hill. He's a, he's a, he's a strong man, but that's all I got, fellas, but I appreciate it. Thanks, Andrew. Yeah, well, appreciate I mean, they that. eventually did address it where they brought him down, and that was what led to the punt because he kept rolling out to the right. But yeah, Hill's a very unique player. He's not your average running back, and you also need to account for the guy could throw the ball too. But I think, once again, I'll go back to what I emphasized earlier. I think if you go back and you look at some of those missed tackles, guys were much more caught up in ripping the ball away from Taysom Hill than they were in bringing him down. And I know coaches emphasize creating takeaways. It's not luck. You could be the aggressor, and that's great. But you have to make sure you secure the player and you're in the process of bringing the player down or your help comes so that once you have another teammate that's in the process of bringing him down, then you could start thinking about stripping away the football. You can't start stripping away at the football if the guy still got both legs up off the turf and he still got the momentum to move forward. That, to me, was the biggest issue on the one where they had like six or seven missed tackles. A lot of guys were just going for the ball. They weren't going to wrap up Taysom Hill. So that, to me, is fundamentals. I don't think that's guys necessarily being out of position. It's just you're getting so caught up in trying to take the ball away that you forget about, hey, first you got to make sure you secure the player and bring him down. That, to me, was the biggest offense there. As far as Daniel Jones and you know his preparation, most quarterbacks are going to put in the time if they want to be great in this league. They're going to do things outside of practice. They're going to speak to their wide receivers. They're going to talk to their offensive line. I'm not trying to downgrade Daniel Jones, but I really don't think, John, it's unique what Eli was doing, what Daniel Jones was doing. Most of the great quarterbacks in this league, they always realize you can't just rely on the practice time. Yeah, the great one, You have to spend more time outside of it. No, absolutely, 100% correct. By the way, I just went back and I watched the play. And you know what? Sean Payton's right. When Taysom Hill steps up on that play, he takes like this little like mini stutter step right before he releases it, and he's kind of falling forward as he throws the pass. It's not his normal ro- uh, motion. I didn't notice that when I watched it the first yeah. time. That's interesting. So that well, is that's why, why uh, that's why I always like to listen to what the opposition says. You pick up some tidbits, especially based on their film study, because he didn't say that until obviously he went back and watched the film. Oh, so you actually listened to Peyton on Monday? No, it was just his coach's show. Was right. after the fact. Right. So I knew for a fact that I didn't have a chance to listen to the whole conversation. I read sort of bits and pieces of what he said, but I saw that quote, and clearly the coach's show was well after the game. It was on Monday. Yeah. So he didn't reveal that until obviously he looked back at the film, and I'm assuming he also spoke to his quarterback and asked him what the hell happened on that play. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So.
Yeah. All right, let, let's go to Scott in New Mexico. He's up next. Hey, Scott. Hi, guys. How are you doing today? What's up? Hey. A uh, couple of things. Um, first of all, John, on your points, I think they were very salient, and maybe that's the way the Giants have to play in order to win. They're going up against – this is New Mexico, so it's Dallas country, and they're preparing for this game. And they have a lot of great players, especially in the offensive uh, receiving core. I know uh, Gallup's hurt, but Cedric Wilson is a good player along with C.D. Lamb. And, uh, well, their tight Cooper. ends are utilized. They're running and backs. And their tight ends are great. I mean, it's, it's not just three wide receivers, I'll tell you that. Right. My question is this, and – Maybe you've answered it a little bit, and, and you sort of made a uh, point about it. But I've noticed in the last couple of games that the secondary is not playing as well as they did last year, and they have better personnel for sure. I'm wondering if it's a, a, a schematic thing because they've been beat on numerous plays. You've mentioned some in this game where obviously if that holding call isn't called, the Giants lose this game. Uh, but they've replicated this in other games where I know Adoree Jackson was beat and a couple of other guys were beat for touchdowns and guys dropped the ball. But it seems to be pervasive in the sense that they're not covering the way they are. So I was wondering, in either of your perspectives, is this, a, is this correctable or is it something that they're doing, the players are doing and, and not realizing what they're doing, as Patrick Graham noticing something. I was just wondering why the secondary is not playing as well as, as they should. Is it something also to do with the linebacking core with Blake Martinez being out? But it seems to be the one characteristic of the defense that I'm concerned about. The fact that there's you no know, pass rush, I think, probably has something to do with it as well. But I'm just curious from your perspective why it's happening at this point in the season. Because obviously they're going to come into some tough games coming up with some great passers. Well, I think the first thing I'll do, Scott, and Lance and I try to do this all the time, is warn people against just assuming because the same team and personnel comes back that it's going right. to have the same results. That's one. Correct. It just changes year to year. It's the way it goes. And I think most of it, I mean, look, Patrick Graham's still calling the same type of defenses. I mean, they ran a, a, a two-deep zone, and they let a, got a deep post run in between them. I mean, right. That isn't coaching. I mean, trust me, Patrick Graham's not coaching them to not take the deep safety down the middle of the field. So I think a lot of it is just player execution. The guy's got to play better. Um, that's how I look at it, to be totally honest with you. I don't see any changes with the way Patrick Graham's coaching things. They're clearly still trying to figure out what they're doing with that third cornerback spot in the nickel spot inside. You know, they've right. kind of gone from Darnay Holmes to Rodarius Williams, and now it's Julian Love who got most of the snaps this week. That is right. a work in progress, and if Dallas puts CeeDee Lamb in there next week, I think that's going to be something to keep an eye on, how the Giants are going to handle him. But for me, Lance, it's all about the player execution with what I've seen. These guys just are not playing uh, as well as they possibly can at this point. You hope it can get better. They have good track records. It makes you think that they can. But it's certainly going to be a big test this week against the Cowboys team that makes tons of big plays down the field. Yeah, and tons of big plays at various different levels of their offense between the run game as yep. well as the deep ball. So, you know, you have to anticipate they'll turn a short pass into a big gain or they'll go for the home run. I think the other thing that's important to note, and, you know, you brought up Patrick Graham is certainly still playing some zone, but the philosophy entering this season based on the moves they made in the draft at free agency was also to feel good about guys going one-on-one, -on -one, man to man coverage. And if you do expose some of your defensive backs to that more so than you did last season, if guys get beat, they're going to be exposed. Whereas right. if you were playing more zone last season, you at least have the protection. 
and you're not leaving your guys out on an island. So if you leave some of your guys out on an island, you have to expect that now that layer of protection is not there. Guys are going to get beat. So I think that's part of it. And I also think you know, the loss of Blake Martinez doesn't necessarily excuse James Bradbury and Adoree Jackson being beat. But you can't dismiss the communication. You know, Martinez is a veteran linebacker, right. gets guys set. So now you're talking about Tate Crowder. Reggie Ragland's a polished veteran. But, you know, these other guys are relatively young. They haven't necessarily been exposed to as much football. I wouldn't dismiss that. I do think that is a significant loss from a tackling standpoint and also from getting guys set. Okay. One last question. I'll take it off the air. Do they have a stat that uh, times how fast – a quarterback releases the football because it seems to me they're running a lot of play action passes on first down for when they initiate a series. I think you mentioned four, I think, out of seven. Uh, but I'm wondering if Daniel Jones is getting the ball out faster than he did before. And I was no, he is. I, I, Scott, a statistic. I, there is. There is an average time to throw statistic, and I appreciate the call. Thanks, Scott. Thanks. That has gone down for Daniel Jones. It went down like you know more than a tenth of a second each of the last two years. I did not check it after this particular game. But he is getting rid of the ball quicker. And that's whenever you ask Joe Judge about why Daniel Jones is playing well and, Dan, and Jason Garrett and uh, the uh, quarterback coach, uh, Skoplinski, you know, they basically all say the same thing. He's seeing it and getting the ball out. So that, to me, is a, is a huge part of, of why this has been successful, Lens. Yeah, and I think what also helps is if you now have playmakers, going back to what we talked about earlier, where it doesn't require them to run a deep route, that helps your quarterback. When you throw to Tony from five yards out, you don't need Tony. You don't need to give him 10 minutes to get down the field. You get rid of it, and then Tony does a lot of the heavy lifting. You know, that's what led to some of the explosive plays we're talking about. You get it to Galladay 10 yards out, and then you let him gain the additional 15 to 18 yards. I think the design of the routes and how they're now saying to themselves, we got to get these guys out in open space and let them do the heavy lifting as opposed to needing Daniel Jones to throw 20 to 30 yards down the field. That also helps your quarterback get rid of the football quickly. So it's a combination, once again, of a variety of factors. But what was... Tom Brady's so good at and continues to be so good at. But during the prime of his career, they would always time him. And you would see, just got rid of it. That's yeah. why barely any teams had a chance to hit him or bring him down. So most good quarterbacks never give the opposition an opportunity to even think about them rattling, playing the trenches and getting after the quarterback and impacting it, whether it be a batted pass or you hit the arm of the quarterback. You don't necessarily have to go to the sack. So I think they're learning we don't need to hold on to the ball and wait for the big play. Let our playmakers do a lot of the heavy lifting. Right now, as of this week, Lance, looking at some of the PFF metrics, the Giants are playing man-to-man defense about 5% more this year as well, opposed to go. last year. Last right? year, I mean, that's it. 5% may not seem huge, but you know what? Oh, no. Add that up it adds over up. the course of the season. Yeah, it was at uh, last year they played 13% cover, or this year, this year rather, they're playing cover one 13.5% of the time covers zero seven percent of the time while last year as i bring it up quickly they played men one 12 percent of the time and cover zero just three percent of the time so it's up by about five percent give or take yeah and if you're in a zone defense and guys are communicating and blake martinez was on the field for the majority of last season i think that could cover up 
guys getting beat. If you're now playing more man-to-man, if Adoree Jackson doesn't win his battle, there's a big play. If James Bradbury doesn't win his battle, there's a big play. And you don't have necessarily always the security blanket. So, I mean, I've been noticing, I thought that had been some of the difference as to why we're seeing some of these explosive plays. Not to say, once again, it's overwhelming, man, but all it takes is a few additional plays for the offense to take advantage of that, and there's all of a sudden issues in terms of coverage. And now you have to see what happens with Peppers out, too. If Peppers can't play with the hamstring, with the hamstring we'll yeah. see how they adjust to that, too. 201-939-4513. 201-939-4513. Let's go to, let's see, David in Florida, I believe, has been holding the longest. David, what's going on? How are you, fellas? Doing well. What's up? Doing all right. So, um, first of all, I, I just want to throw something out there to, uh, on a personal note because I've been a longtime uh, Giants fan, and uh, with my father gone, who got me into the Giants, you guys have definitely uh, filled a void. So I appreciate that on a daily basis. I appreciate the show very much so. Thank you for listening, and, David, uh, and, and uh, condolences on the loss of your father. Thank you, thank you. But um, moving on, the uh, – you know, give props to you guys, give props to the team, and, and certainly I want to give props to the coaching staff because I think that with this, you know, offensive line doing what, uh, what we've gone through as a, as a team, what they've gone through, you know, uh, obviously all these extra guys we brought in on the coaching staff on the, on the line are, uh, are helping. And when you see a guy like uh, Billy Price perhaps maybe even turning his career around, hopefully here, I wonder if this new guy they brought in, Isaiah Wilson, has the same type of shot, so I'll take that off the air. Thank you. I appreciate the call. Look, I mean, it's 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 been two games for two games really for for Billy Price Lance that he's played, or is this his third game that he's been in? Let's see. He came in in terms of the Atlanta game because Nick Gates got hurt in the Washington game. All right, yeah, but he, so. he came in. No, no, no he, he took over Washington a center in the Washington right, game though. So it's been two three and a half, games. two and a half yeah, games, two whatever, and a half, if whatever, you whatever, whatever you want to call it. That's yeah. fine. Look, I, I think. To say that he's turned his career around after two and a half games, I think might be a little bit premature. <laughs> I think we should probably wait for a little bit bigger of a sample size before we make that decision. Um, but look, I think you have to like the early results here, especially given there's been a lot of moving pieces on this offensive line. And you hope that they can coach Isaiah Wilson up. But to me, that's a flyer. Like You bring him in. If he works, great. If he doesn't, you can cut him. It's not a big deal. Don't put eggs in that basket. You know, If it happens, great. If it doesn't, that's okay. It's a, it's a low risk. Um, high-reward type of situation if he can work out. And if he doesn't, it's fine. So, look, I think you have to be happy. The offensive line has certainly improved. I think you'd like to see some better run blocking still, Lance. We haven't gotten to that point yet where they're blocking well enough in the run game to consistently run the ball. But the pass protection is certainly better consistently than it was last year. Yeah, as far as Isaiah Wilson, you're talking about a guy that's got a sample size that essentially is non-existent He's played, what, in three professional snaps? football. Three snaps last year as a rookie, yeah. something ridiculous like that? Well, I mean, remember, he was traded to Miami, and then he lasted in Miami for about a week, yeah. and then they cut him. <laughs> so, you know, this is a guy that has not been playing much football at all. You go back to 2020, he was the first-round pick of Tennessee. He played exactly three snaps. Yeah, three snaps. That was his total. Okay, and one on special teams. So we'll give him four snaps. That's his NFL career. And he That's was a guy, by the way, Lance, that was considered raw coming out, too. When we did all our draft coverage that year, he was a guy that had the tool set, but, you know, sure. had stuff he needed to figure out. Yeah, and we don't even know, you know, how close he is to, you know, becoming an active participant where they're going to move him along enough. Oh, yeah. To take part in, forget games. I'm just talking about drills, lining up against defenders. I think right now, 
it's in the hands of Isaiah Wilson to get in shape and then get ready to take the next step at practice before we even start to speculate about when he may be game ready. I don't want to say Isaiah Wilson's John Ross, but my approach is going to be the same thing, John. I don't want to hear anything about John Ross until John Ross gets on the field and proves that he's healthy, okay? So we've, we've gotten past one stumbling block with John Ross. We can at least talk a little bit more about what his potential is. But Isaiah Wilson's now where John Ross was, which is let's see him progress to the point where he's an active participant in practice. Let's see if he ever gets called up to the active 53-man roster, and then we could start to talk about the potential of maybe them rotating him in here or there. Right now, he is simply a practice squad player looking to revamp and turn around his career and, most importantly, get into football shape. I think the one thing that may help Isaiah Wilson, and this has nothing to do with football. This has to do with just environment. He is a Brooklyn native. He went to poly prep. Does it help now that he's back in his own backyard and maybe he's close to family? I don't know him on a personal level. I'm just throwing that out there, John. You know, sometimes environment does help a player get settled in. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's good that he's now not far away from his home. And sometimes, you know, guys, when they spend a lot of time away from home, it's just not a good fit. Maybe that'll help him get on the right track. But let's see him progress at practice before we have a serious conversation of his contribution level. So just overall in the pass protection before we get to the next call, the Giants right now sit at 33% in terms of their pressure rate. So they literally allow a pressure on one of every three of their dropbacks. That's just about 12th or 13th in the league. That's very good. PFF also tracks quick pressure lands, which gets home in less than two and a half seconds. And they rank 16th in that category. So I think you got to pretty be pretty happy given that the Giants, I believe, were next to last in both of those categories last year, that they made that much progress in just one year's time. 201-939-4513. Hey, folks, New York Giants football is back. The season's underway, but there's still a way to secure your season tickets and root on your Giants at MetLife Stadium. Speak with the Giants ticket representative now and become a season ticket member by calling 888-NYG-1925. Or you can take in all the action from your very own private suite. Giant suites are a great way to entertain your family and friends while rooting on your Giants here at MetLife Stadium. Speak with the Giant Suite representative now by calling 888-NYG-1925. Remember, we do have those special days at the stadium coming up. The honoring Michael Strahan, retiring his jersey. The celebration of Super Bowl Forty Six coming up later in the year as well. So get in there. Find your tickets. Some single-game tickets are available to Giants.com slash single-game tickets. Check it out and get in to the building and see your New York football Giants. 201-939-4513. I believe Joe in Pennsylvania is up next. Joe, what's up? Hey, great to get a win, guys. Uh, there for a while when it first started off, when we missed that field goal there, that chip shot there, I thought, oh, well, here we go again. I guess that's what we're going to lose by. But I was biting my teeth, but we won a doubleheader, the Giants and the Yankees. So, uh, and the Jets. Get... It was a big yeah, New Jets York sports overtime, day. Too. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but I'm not a Jet fan. Sorry, Jet <laughs> fans. <laughs> Benny and a Jets, that's okay. That's another day. Um, let's see here. But uh, where should I start at? Uh, I didn't hear your beginning of the show, so sorry. But uh, uh, like I said, uh, uh, well, I want to say I re- that, that play by Tony for third and 14 back. Third and 18, yeah. 30 and 18 was that? Well, that brought back uh, memories to me. I don't know if you recall of Mark Ingram in the Super Bowl, third and 21. I it, w- it actually was a very similar play. Yeah, yeah that's and true. The way he twisted and turned and stretched for that final yard, you know. 
Uh, what, what Super Bowl was that, was that against? I that was memory. that was that was eighty six, I believe. That was against the. No, the no, no, no! I take it back. Well, no, I take it back. That, that 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 was against the Bills. That was in that that was in that was in ninety. Ninety. Oh, yeah, I said if Paul was here, he'd remember all this stuff just like yesterday. So, but uh, that and uh, like I I don't want to harp on Jason Garrett, but his play calling for short yardage. This game and the last game, like when we're third and two or three, it seems like Daniel's trying to go downfield more. And I really think with our, our, our weapons and stuff like that, that we would have, be able to have plays if you put the receivers together and the tight end and even Galladay to hit quick ones, you know, up off the line quick, you know. And I really, I don't know. Do you remember what plays particularly you're talking about? Just so I can give an idea. Uh, well, it's, it was the last few games, uh, our, our third and, and short. It seemed like uh, Daniel threw passes downfield. I don't have it clocked. I don't have it marked. Okay, but, he, uh, he did have a third and one in the second quarter. I believe the Saints did like an all-out blitz, and I think he tried to throw it deep to Tony down the right sideline. That was well, well, like I, I said, I, I think we could have – you know, better plays. I don't like the sweep on the goal line there. All the players are up to the sweep to our tight end there. It's too easy. All the players are playing up, you know, and they don't have that far to come in to stop them. It just takes too long to set up. Now, I wouldn't mind to play a sweep like that with with Tony where he has the option of cutting it in or throwing the ball. Now, that's a different story. And that's something I think we could set up, too, to use him like that. And I didn't hear you from the beginning, but uh, our running the ball, I think we really have to set up short passes with, with the speed of, of Ross and Tony. If they, they don't come up and play him close, you could hit them guys quick. Sure. And well, that's if, as good as the run game. It makes no difference. Right. That's yeah. that's. That's what uh, they should be doing because they can't come up and play them right on the line because if they scoop by them, you know, it, you know, just a little flare pass here or there, and they could beat the safety and they're gone. I'd, I'd like to see that more setting up the run. And even that place, I don't know what on that play on Daniel, when he took it in for the two-point extra, if they had him split out or not on that play. I'm not, I'm not recalling where he went in on the – he took it in on the uh, on the two point uh, conversion. You talking yeah. about? Yes, yeah. yes. I'm, I'm not. I'm not sure. Did they have him split out like on that one? I wasn't sure. Who Tony? You talking yeah, about? Uh, no, no. The 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 receivers. Uh, I I think he had Barkley in the backfield on that play yet. Yeah, and, he did. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I I believe so. But but that's what I I'd, I'd like to say. One other question there. Now, do you think it, it's harder to win? Stadium-wise and loud-wise, at the Saints Dome or the Cowboys that we're going to. Oh, Superdome's louder for sure. Uh, right. That's well. That's well, that's that's one one thing there. And do you think that the Saints had a better defense or or a rushing game than the or the Cowboys have a better rushing game? I think and, I think the Saints are a much better defensive team. I think Dallas is a much better offensive team. Okay, I said. The only other thing I, I'd like to so, so we shouldn't be threatened there. The only other thing I says I want to recall back, it's going back to the Buffalo game. I, well, I, I just want to say their quarterback had under 200 yards passing this game uh, 
Dallas as I see, you know. Well, that's because they, yeah, they, they ran for, for over about 200 yards, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They averaged yeah, eight right, yards a right. carry nearly. Right. <laughs> uh, uh, well, that's what I said. That's what I want to say. we got to stop the run because definitely, you know what I mean? Yep. We're hitting their, their running backs, they're in their – if we take them down, it's the most. It's a three-yard gain, and they're all eight, nine-yard gains. You know, there it is, second, third, and one or two. You know, that's that. That's that's the big thing there, really and and truly. Uh, and I just wanted to bring back, to, you know what I mean? Yep. In that play there, with all their receivers and everything, going back way to the Buffalo game where Belichick just had a three-man front. So, thank so, you, Joe. Uh, Go Giants. Thanks for taking my call. Appreciate Go it. Go Yankees tonight. Yeah, absolutely. Go Yankees right, against Joe. Boston. No question. Uh, Lance, we could touch on what's coming up with Dallas, but our next caller actually wants to talk about that too. So why don't we get to him, and then we can uh, talk Dallas next and go back to the phones again. Sean in New York joins us next. Sean, what's up? Hey, guys. Oh, love you, Sean. I've been listening to you guys for years. Thank you. Um, a great win for us. I'm excited about the game against Dallas. Now, what I wanted to talk about, I've been – at the Giants games when they played at Dallas a couple of times. And a lot of times, people don't know, there's a lot of, there's going to be a lot of Giants fans in that stadium. I've been there a couple of times. Oh, for sure. Games. Absolutely. Yeah. What, 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 what we need to do is use Ross and Tony to spread out that, you know, the, the offense. This way you can come underneath with, with, our, with our tight ends and with Saquon Barkley. And I think we really have a chance to go in there and win because we know, you know, we, we, we've been there before and we know how to win in that stadium. What do you guys think about that? Well, I mean, you can win the game. I mean, it's a division game. Traditionally, Dallas Giant games, much like Giants-Eagles games and Giants-Washington games, are usually very close contests, and one or two plays can go either way. I think, you know, it's a different set of challenges than you had against the Saints where I think the major concern against New Orleans was their defense, and the Giants overcame that. I think this is the biggest test the Giants' defense will have faced all year heading into this game, and frankly, I don't think it's very close. You compare the Broncos' offense, Washington, Saints, and the Falcons to what Dallas does offensively, it's night and day. Dallas's offense can beat you in any way they choose. They can run it. They can put big people out there with a bunch of tight ends and run it, run right. it that way. They can spread you right. out with wide receivers and throw it. So this is going to be a huge challenge for the Giants' defense here to try to keep Dallas under 30, and I think for the Giants' offense, you're going to have to probably get darn close to 30, if not over 30, if you want to have a chance to win this game. Because Dallas is going to score points by hook or by crook. Right. They might turn it over a couple times along the way, but they're going to score points, and you're going to have to score with them. Yeah, that's why I think this is actually a huge oh, test for the Giants' offense because they're going to have to keep up with that Dallas offense. Oh, yeah, that's too, of course. That, to me, is what the onus is on. It's not so much the defense. Right. It's a matter of can the Giants' offense – you know, score as consistently as they did in the Washington game. And then, you know, remember, they didn't click until very late against the Saints. So when you yeah. go up against the Cowboys, every possession is so important because yeah. as they've proven, you know, they're scoring almost on every single one of their possessions, either a field goal or a touchdown. You know, they're finding ways to put something on the scoreboard. So, I mean, that puts a lot of pressure, I think, on your offense more so than anything else heading into this game. Well, what did... As, as we watch the game, one of the problems that we have is our pass rush. Now, Ojolari has been doing a good job, but we're not getting anything out of Carrier, uh, Jimenez. So what type of pass rush do you think Patrick Graham is going to have to come up with? Blitzes? and well, What do you guys think? Because we got to get in the Dak Prescott's face 
it disrupt his rhythm. So, you know, it could help us out, you know, because we, we've been having a lot of problems with our pass rush. Yeah, well, they also only have 14 quarterback hits in the first four games. Yeah. I mean, do the math. That's not a lot of quarterback hits per game. So it's not right. even, forget the sacks. It's about are you getting enough plays where you're disrupting the quarterback? I think, you know, sometimes the best way to disrupt the quarterback, get hands in the passing lanes, bat down balls. Don't allow Dak to throw over the middle or deep. If you get hands in the lane, I mean, the Raiders did that to Justin Herbert a little bit yesterday. That's an effective way if you can't get home. And then also, if you stop the run, then it leads to the Cowboys being in perhaps some third and longs. You know, they're yeah. not facing a lot of detrimental downs because, you know, there was a play against Carolina. Zeke had a 40-yard run. He went untouched to the right. second layer of the defense. You know, right. that's how effective their offensive line has been right now. They're just playing bully football. They're knocking guys back. I mean, there was one, I think on that very play, Zach Martin, he pushed whoever the defender was, he pushed them back seven yards removed from the line of scrimmage. You know, that's how well this group is playing. Yeah, and Dallas right now, Lance, to your point, they probably have a top five offensive line in the league. Terrence Steele's out there at right tackle. He's, and he's not, playing very well, he, by the he way. He isn't Lael Collins, but he's yeah. playing a lot better than he did last year for sure. Sure. Yeah. And they're yeah. healthy this year. That's the difference, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, his offensive line healthy. was banged up last year. Yeah, they are healthy. But I, I, I think if Jason, Jason Guy has been doing a really good job like well, really last week he did a great job in the game. And I think Daniel Jones is not uh, clocking in the iron on one receiver. He's looking at different receivers now. So this is going to help the offense. And I feel Daniel's going to have a big game. What do you guys think? Well, well I think he's going to need to. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's as simple as that, Sean. Yeah. You know, whether or not you believe it, he's going to need to have a big game. Or they're just going to have yeah. to have a fantastic game on the ground. Because once again, I'll, I'll stand by what I said. Thanks for the call, We Sean. could talk all we want about this Giants defense. And they're going to have their ups and downs. This is a game you have to score. You have to be able to go into this game thinking you could get to that 27-28 point barometer. John, look at what the Cowboys have put up over the course of... This season, though, so I remember, you know, they went toe to toe with the Bucks in the opener, and they lost that game because of a last-second field goal. So, I mean, they've been scoring at a consistent rate. They had 29 against the Bucks. The Chargers game was low scoring. Okay, they scored 20 there. Then they put up 41 against the Eagles, and they scored 36 against the Panthers. So, I mean, three of their four games, they've had 29 or more. That's your barometer right there. The Giants have scored 29 points once in their four games. Challenges on the offense this week. That's yeah. how I see it. No, look, look, the offense is going to have to score. No question. Now, the defense is going to have to control things, though, either. You can't let Dallas go off for like 38. You know what I mean? You know of what course, I mean? Yeah. You can't let I mean, it... you got to give your offense a chance to right. stay in the game. Exactly. I get your point. Yeah. The goes... question is, though, can the defense do that? Especially with, you know, some of these missed tackles and breakdowns that we've seen. 201-939-4513. I haven't talked to Len in Columbia, Maryland for a few weeks now. Len, what's going on, buddy? Yeah, man, you're always in the studio while I'm talking to Jeff or Lance or or Paulie. It's been a while. Hello, Len. What's good going to talk on? To you. Yeah, good, good to, to talk, talk to you too. What's good going to... on? Yeah. Hey, nice win on Sunday. Obviously. Yep. Um, <clears throat> you know, when your best players play their best, you got a shot. And uh, I think that's what happened on offense. And Daniel was terrific. I know I've been harping on this for the probably about the last year, almost exactly one year, about 16 games going back into last season. Yeah, You know, bring us back, Daniel. Help us at the end, the 38-yard pass in the second quarter. 
you know, it doesn't mean much. You you, you got to do it at the end. And Daniel did it. Boy, that's that was a just just a great show, terrific show. Hey, look, the offense and, uh, got the score at the end, and the defense got the stop at the end. Man, it was two for yes, two. Yes, they did. They did fourth quarter stops. You can't, you know, tough Leonard Williams. Um, uh, you know, obviously the defense is some problem. You know the, you know the last line of defense. We got to get better play out of the safeties, particularly McKinney. I'm a little disappointed in McKinney. I, I, I thought he'd be a little better. I know, I know, Lance. He's only got like eight or nine games in, but I thought he'd be a little better. Uh, time for him to play better, and time for Logan Ryan to play better. Um, you know, the linebacker situation. I don't know what we're going to do. You know, without Martinez, I mean, it's a mess. Uh, it seems like it's right up the middle. Nose tackle through the middle of the linebackers into the deep safeties, the inside guys. You know, there's there's an old saying: you can't you can't get blood from a turnip. Uh, we got to just get the, you know the best we can out of those. Now, guys. Len, I will say this: you're talking about up the middle. I thought uh, Dexter Lawrence actually played a. I know they ran the ball a lot. Um, yes. The Giants and Saints. I thought Dexter Lawrence actually played a, a, a pretty darn good game in that game. To be honest, with I you. thought he. I, you know, I wasn't really talking about Lawrence, but and I'm but I'm glad you brought him up. I thought he had a very good game, John, and I thought Leonard had a very good game. I know we didn't get to the quarterback. Uh, you know, a little pressure at the end by Leonard, but, but you know, you know, you look at the first two plays. I believe was the first two plays of the game. Um, Lawrence with a tip pass and Lawrence with a two-yard loss. You remember that series? Yep. Sean? Yeah. First yeah. two plays. Yep. And then plays. inexplicably, tell, tell me inexplicably, and, and then I want to go on to Dallas. And then and then Dexter comes off the field. I mean, it's like the third play of the game. What are we doing? How how do you take? How do you take Dexter Lawrence off the field early in the game in that situation? I, I didn't get that. I kept thinking to myself, what the heck is this all about? Who could be replacing Dexter Lawrence at that point in the game? But, look, he, he did have a good game. I was talking more about the nose tackle situation. I got you. The middle linebackers, even the outside linebackers, I mean. I'll tell you what, though, Lynn. Austin that, Johnson just, made a huge play on a second and one in the fourth quarter to stop an Alvin Kamara, second and two. Alvin Kamara run up the middle, and then they stopped Taysom Hill on the next play that forced one of those punts. So Johnson made a really good play in that particular series. In that particular series. Yes. In that particular mm-hmm. series. I, I've said this before about Austin Johnson. You guys will remember this. I'm glad he's on this team as long as he's not playing more than 15 plays a game. He's a rotational guy. Yeah, that's fair. Okay. Um, and Shelton, you know, who wants to come in on Shelton? You know, we got a, we got a problem there. We're, we're, I think we're asking Austin Johnson to play too many plays. He's just, uh, but that's where we are. That's where we are. Hey, let me go on to let me let me go on to Dallas. And I, I hope the momentum carries over. And you know, for a couple of weeks, we we start we, we continue to operate at high efficiency, particularly on offense. Well, Len, and, look, uh, I'll just say this. I think you're right. I think it's very important for it to carry forward here, because yeah. if you lose to Dallas this week. The yeah. win against New Orleans from a big-picture perspective yep. doesn't yep. mean a ton. You have yep. to build on it. If you beat Dallas, though, then all of a sudden yeah. these are two huge wins as a unit, right? And you're 2-2, two and two, yep. uh, you're 2-3, and three, rather. Yep. You're feeling good about yourself. But if you're 1-4, yep. and four, again, the win is still great looking at it in, in its own silo. But from a big-picture, 1-4, and 0-2 oh in the division, you're still not feeling too good about yourself. Okay, don't tell anybody I said this, Sean. Yeah, what's that? I, I want to be 5-5 five and five after 10 games. Well, I mean, that'd be we'll, nice. And we'll take it from there. We'll take <laughs> it from there. We'll race to the, the home stretch. 
we, you know, we'll take it from there. All right, uh, we got to score to beat Dallas. That seems to be the conventional wisdom. Uh, we need to score seven times. Four touchdowns, three field goals, 37 points to win this game. We got to hold their run game to under 125 yards, and we got to match their on the ground yardage. We got to match their on the ground yardage. Uh, if Dallas punts anything less than four times, guys, if they punt anything less than four times, I think we're in trouble. I want 25 plus first downs, and I want at least 400 yards on the ground. And I want the deep safeties, McKinney and Ryan, to play better. They just have to play better, or we're not going to win this game. Thank you, Len. That's the deep end. They call them safeties for a reason. Hey, let's go Giants. Hey, thanks for taking the call, guys. Hey, appreciate appreciate it, Len. Good stuff. Bye-bye. And by the way, just so people are aware, Dallas right now on the year, uh, they're only allowing 81 rush yards per game. But I think a lot of that is the product of game flow, Lance. I think what, what the Eagles have what three traditional runs against the Dallas? Yeah, the Eagles in week barely three. ran the football. So in they that are game. giving up four point yeah. seven yards per carry, which is twenty sixth in the league. So those numbers are very different here. So which is real, which one isn't? Passing, on the other hand, they're thirty first in passing yards allowed. But again, a lot of that's game flow. These teams are throwing a lot because they're down, and it's seven point four yards per pass play, which is like twenty third in the league. So again, Dallas defense improved. They still give up some plays now. They make some big plays in terms of takeaways. I believe they're number one in the league in takeaways. They are number one. Yeah, they have more than the Saints, actually. No, actually, yeah. they, are now, they are now second. Are the they? Bills passed them. The oh, Bills the Bills because oh, they beat up the Texans yes. uh, yeah, 40 to nothing. The Bills yeah. have 11. Dallas has 10. But they're both plus seven in ratio to lead the league. So the Dallas defense gives up some yards, Lance, but they do make some big plays. So we talked about protecting the football against New Orleans. Just as important against Dallas this upcoming week. Yeah, because you have a very good turnover differential that the Cowboys had, just like the Saints. I mean, once again, the numbers have slightly changed, but going into last week's game, New Orleans and Dallas were the top two teams in turnover differential. So, you know, nothing has dramatically changed. This is yet another game. You have to protect the football. And forget the turnover differential. I would just say you have to protect the football because, once again, every possession is so important when you're going up against an offense that you know can put up 35 points. Now, Based on what the last caller put out there in terms of numbers, Carolina had 24 first downs, which was exactly what he was calling for. And Carolina put up nearly 400 yards of total offense, but they still only scored 28 points. So, you know, to me, it's not so much the numbers that you're tackling. It's the production, the productivity. It's about what you're doing with that total yardage and the first downs. You could get those numbers high if you're not scoring touchdowns and you're settling for field goals. It really doesn't make any difference at the end of the day. I'm going up against the Cowboys. I'm not even thinking about field goals. No, you got to score touchdowns. Okay, I'm thinking touchdowns, yeah. period. So, you know, you can tell me all you want about four touchdowns, three field goals, 37 points. Touchdowns is the only thing that should be part of the mindset for the Giants this week because you're not beating the Dallas Cowboys with a field goal battle. It's just not going to happen. All right, let's go to Jimmy and Rose Hill. He'll wrap us up today on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Jimmy, what's up? Hey, guys, how are you? What's going on? Long time no speak. Yep. Um, a couple of things, uh, and I'll, I'll be quick because I, I know you guys probably want to go to lunch or something, but um, I know yesterday's call, this is just a, an observation, on yesterday's call there were some discussions about alpha males and, you know, and, uh, and, and, and uh, some, were, some were poo-pooing it. But my good friend who's the offensive coordinator at it, University of Oregon used to always say he'd rather have to tell the guys heal rather than sick them. So uh, I understand that, you know, execution and making plays is, 
is what it's all about. But I would not underestimate the, uh, the this need for an alpha male. Well, Jimmy, let me say and, this: and there is no, in my on. eyes, Jimmy, there's no more alpha male than Jabril Peppers. I mean, that's what Absolutely. Jabril Peppers is. Yeah. You know, so right. I, I don't know what other what else people are looking for. I mean, just look at what Jabril Peppers did at the coin toss for overtime. Right. I mean, that's what he is. I mean, he is. Right. He, that's what he is. So. I mean, I think it's an easy thing to talk about. I think it's a lot easier to kind of put it into practice. Like, did the team have alpha males, alpha males last year when they were good, and now they're not alpha males anymore? Like, what changed? Like, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't hear people complaining about this last year when the defense was good, but now it's a problem because the defense is playing as well? Why wasn't it a problem last year when they got the same personnel? I mean, I don't know. That's a good question for someone like Carl because I've heard Banks, you know, uh, Talk about that a number of times about which, you know where where are they where you know these guys would have to just you know step up and put the team on their on their shoulders and just to do the, the just the dint of their their their, their personalities and their force that they take the team with them. But anyway, I mean I and I played uh, and I even when I was playing there's there were a few of these guys that just just had this thing this this it about them that um, you know on occasion were. Just that, that sheer force of their personalities were enough to, to get the team going. But anyway, uh, a couple of things just about about Sunday's game. Um, there was one play in particular uh, that I haven't seen in a while, but I think it might have been an overtime. But it was a run pass option where uh, Jones just faked it to uh, could have been it was probably Barkley, and just took a step and threw it threw a slant could have been to Ross, and it. It was just a, decisive, a decisiveness to it that that uh, that I hadn't seen. I think it was indicative of of some of the progress that I think we're starting to see with see with Daniel. And I was uh, again, there was a lot of great throws that he made, but that one in particular just just stuck with me. Um, a couple things about the pass rush. I know people have been down on, on Lorenzo Carter. Uh, I I'm a big fan of Lorenzo Carter, and I I don't I, I agree he's not a pass rusher. I don't think he had that label coming out of college either. Uh, but, boy, I, um, I mean, he does a lot of other good things that, that you look for in a linebacker. Uh, would you like to see more of a pass rush? Sure, but I think he brings a lot of other things to the table when he's out there on the field. Zimenez, on the other hand, <laughs> I, I've been waiting and waiting and waiting, and I just don't think uh, I, I, what disappoints me as much as not being able to get to the rush to the passer is is his ability to stop the run? I just I just don't see it. I just don't think he has the the lead in the pants uh, to do it. I'd like to. So my question for you guys is: um, Is there any indication at all that that uh, where where Ellison Smith is, and does Roche get a sh- get a shot? Um, uh, and the final the final question I have is: Aaron Robinson, another guy coming out of college. Um, what's his status? What do we know? Well, I can and, tell you right uh, now, Robinson's on pup. So Thanks. Robinson you, is not eligible, Jimmy, to come back until the seventh game of the season. He's got to miss the first six. So, I mean, that's an easy answer right there, considering he had core muscle surgery. Ellerson Smith is also on IR, so he was in the same boat as John Ross, where you can bring him back to practice. It would start his clock. They'd have then three weeks to determine whether or not they would activate him. But I think a lot depends on their needs and whether or not he's ready to be activated. Because remember, you know, John Ross, it was the combination of they needed a wide receiver 
and he had enough recovery time from the hamstring injury. So, you know, I don't know what they're thinking in terms of the linebackers. I can tell you this, Zimenez, by the way, Zimenez is not playing nearly as much as Lorenzo Carter. Zimenez, because I'm looking up the snap counts just to confirm what I thought, Zimenez has only played just below 35% of the snaps. Lorenzo's at 69% of the snaps. So not to make excuses for Zimenez, but in fairness, Zimenez is just not on the field nearly as much as Lorenzo Carter as a means of comparison. And a guy like Quincy Roche, remember, this is somebody that joined the roster late because they added him right as they were finalizing the 53-man roster. So is it possible as the season progresses, do they look to increase his opportunities on defense? I wouldn't be surprised if maybe they go that route. But I think you have to understand you know, normally, I, by the time we get to the fourth game of the season, John, I'm saying to myself, okay, it's time to get going. But considering Roche was not with the team during training camp and wasn't with the players and the teammates, I give those guys a little bit more wiggle room before all of a sudden you throw them into the mix and you give them a much bigger workload. Hey, you know how I look at it, man. The guys are the guys. You're not going to find some magical solution on the practice yeah. squad or anything like that. Look, Ellison Smith hasn't played a meaningful snap of football in two years. Literally two years. Sure. Because he, you know, his, uh, his division didn't play football last year because of the pandemic. So to expect these guys to come in and be heroes, that's not going to happen. Robinson has some time. Once he's healthy, could I see him getting a shot inside? Absolutely. But we're still three weeks away from that. So we got some time here, folks. The guys on the roster that they worked with and they've drafted and they built along here are the guys that, at least for now, are going to have to do it until they can bring some other players here in the offseason, or maybe these guys improve and they don't have to. But that's what you're looking at. There's not going to be some you know, hero walking in from the outside in the next couple of weeks that are going to change everything. Just something to keep in mind. Lance, good stuff, my friend. Absolutely. We're back Wednesday for another episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com, the Giants mobile app. The archive of Big Blue Kickoff Live can be found on the Giants app at Giants.com slash podcast and your favorite podcast platforms. For Lance Meadow, I'm John Schmoke. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you tomorrow on Giants.com at 1230 for another episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live.